Had I been able to preach last week, um, which I was not able to do, obviously, uh, having IVs in me and stuff like that, <laughs> and so forth. But um, I would have said it was the story of Jesus calling uh, the disciples who were fishermen. And I was going to call that uh, going into the family business because uh, Luke makes a big deal about the fact that James and John are with their dad, Zebedee, who are partners with Peter and Andrew in the fishing business. But now God calls them to a different business. And so the idea of, for us as Christians and is that are we into our father's business? Are we part of it? And so forth. Uh, Luke will record when Jesus is 12 years old, when remember his parents lose him for like three days and they go crazy. And finally, after searching him, they come to the temple and they find him with the elders, the great, a lot of the major teachers, who are amazed at his questions. And when they, the Virgin Mary says to him, don't you know, son, we've been looking all over for you. And he says, how is it that you search for me? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's, in my father's house? But in Greek, it can also read the idea of being about my father's business. So when we give our lives to Christ, this isn't just a free ride. It's like if you're becoming part of a business like the fisherman, you had to work at it. You had to work at it and be a part of it. So the gospel that we read today actually um, is part of that picture, being part of the family business. And it's a gospel that's sometimes very uncomfortable for people in that way. But I want to simply talk about the fact of what that means and and I want to pick on good old Ananias here. Ananias uh, might have been one of the 70 uh, that Jesus picked uh, during his earthly ministry. But later, uh, and probably due to the persecution instigated by uh, the authorities and later uh, St. Paul before he found he knew Christ, Ananias runs off and he goes to Dam Damascus where he's the head of a community of followers of Jesus up in Damascus. Anyway, we know this story real quick. Paul has this encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. Christ reveals himself, and so on and so forth. And he's told by uh, Jesus to go to the house of Ananias. Now, Jesus makes another interaction with Ananias and says, look, this guy, Saul of Tarsus, is coming to you. And he's, and he's like, say what? So imagine that you have basically like a bunch of hitmen and suddenly you're being told they're coming to your house. And Christ tells him, but he's changed, you know, and he, I've chosen him to be the one to bring the good news to the entire world. I don't know, Lord. I really don't know. So the point being, though, that Ananias acquiesces and expresses hospitality and generosity to, the, to Saul of Tarsus, will talk to him, teach him, baptize him, and make him a part of the church. If Ananias had not been open to like what the gospel says today, I don't think that would have happened. and We might not have had St. Paul the way we have. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, we think about, hey man, how are you treating me? But Jesus doesn't start from that. Do to people regardless of and treat them the way you would want to be treated, regardless.
If you love only those who love you, big deal. Even the wicked do love them. <laughs> if you do only good to those who do good to you, what good is that? Even the wicked do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? That's a very scary phrase in our capitalistic or our worship of capitalism. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. Actually, it's not even receive as much. We live in a culture where we put interest on anything we lend to anybody, which tells you we're not the Christian country we think we are. And that's from the beginning when banking came here, back 400 years ago. But love your enemies. Do good, lend, despairing of no one, expecting nothing in return. And then your reward will be great, for you will be children of the Most High, for he's kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. And part of the point is, do we see how God relates to us? I mean, <laughs> we, we, we take this scripture and we look at the outside world instead of seeing ourselves the way God relates to us. That God, like Ramon and I were talking this morning, God is not only the God of second chances, but even third and fourth. And to be Christ, to see how much we've been given, how much we've been lent by God freely without God expecting anything back, which we sadly take for granted. You know, uh, as, as a church, we've lent out money when people said they wanted a loan. And most people paid back, but some in the end couldn't. And... By the way, our approach has in the past been that we lend out expecting that maybe they won't be able to give it back to us. So we, do we have enough that we can give out and not really, really destroy our finances by any stretch? Okay? Now that sounds like, wow, irresponsible. But look at Jesus, what he's saying. You know, I actually had somebody, I, I read... They heard this scripture, and somebody who's really involved in a parish down in Florida and this and that and the other thing, literally say to me, oh, what does Jesus know? Okay? Yeah, what does Jesus know? My, my governor, my president, my congressman, whatever they say, my banker, Smith, Blarney, whatever, Hutton, they know. And we forget the reality that God has come in the flesh to be part of our lives. So Ananias is somebody that reflects this. He put his life on it. He didn't know what, what Saul of Tarsus would be like when the guy comes to his home. Maybe he'll change his mind and he'll suddenly have me arrested, thrown, you know, me tortured, my family tortured, you know, executed. Because this guy, would, remember, before Saul of Tarsus had the encounter with, with Christ, he's like ISIS. He's going he's gonna to correct, execute anyone that is not obeying the law of God as he understands it. Of course, he doesn't understand that the law was fulfilled in Jesus. And we have to remember back then, they, they, it was pretty strict. It was pretty strict. You know, not just if you committed adultery. If you didn't go to, to synagogue on the Sabbath, you were stoned. Do you understand this? We talk about this and that. 
the Torah says that the person who does not observe the Sabbath day is to be stoned to death. And into this mix, Jesus comes and says what he says, which is amazing. So it was a shock to even the people in his time and so forth. But thank God for Ananias. Thank God for Ananias. And this is where Paul talks later about do not be mismatched with unbelievers, meaning don't, don't be hooking up and partnering with them and their attitudes in that way. Don't let yourself get suckered into the way they see things. Just because they have a lot of money. See, we, we do have this thing in this country that somehow if you have a lot of money, you must be very intelligent. Well, guess what? No. No. You can have millions and billions of dollars and be <laughs> not intelligent at all. You might be narcissistic, but you're not, not intelligent. Look at the celebrities out there. Just because they have money and celebrity doesn't make them intelligent. What communion is there between light and darkness? What agreement does Christ have Belear, which is another name for the devil? What does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God, excuse me, with idols? And again, Paul's talking back in Corinth where, and keep this in mind, this, to do business back then, um, like if you were a coppersmith, if whatever, you were part of a guild, like a, a, a lodge, for whatever your business was, whether you, know, you were a carpenter, whether you were you know, making sandals, whatever type of thing. And you usually had your god, an idol that you would worship and burn incense to and so forth. And ultimately, of course, with the state, you had to burn incense and say, Caesar is Lord, type of thing. So he's saying, what do, you, what do we have to do? But this is a, the important point I want to get to. We are the temple of the living God, as God said. And I think we need to understand what that means. Do we understand that God is here? And that's why we can start out where Jesus says, to the way we are with outsiders. Even sometimes the way we are within, among ourselves. Okay? Where God said, literally, like the Virgin Mary again, that God comes to live in us. St. Peter will say, we are the bricks of the temple. Right? And what was the temple to an Israelite? It was the physical expression of God's presence on earth as in heaven. When we come together, we reflect God's physical presence on earth as in heaven, as much as the Virgin Mary had Jesus in her womb for nine months, and then with her as he grew up. And I'm not even going to go into the whole thing about blood transfusion between her and the unborn Jesus, let alone the fact that now we know baby's DNA is not only shared with a mom and mom with the, the child, but after the baby's born, the DNA of the baby remains. Imagine that. That's why when we blow off the Virgin Mary, we don't understand what the Incarnation is about. And we don't understand what church is really about. So we're coming at this with God literally being among us. Okay? As it says, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will come out from them, be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you. I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. And perfect means mature, complete, not like little kids. We're called to be Christ. 
Like that quote I read uh, a couple weeks ago um, where uh, Dallas Willard, God bless him, a Christian writer, uh, no relation to the Dallas guy that does The Chosen, uh, but he said, the incarnation is saying, and this is what disciple means, discipleship means that we live as if, if Jesus were us, how would we live and how would we relate? That's what salvation is. It's not just going to heaven in some kind of a, like I said, flaky kind of way. It's called to be in a partnership with God as if Jesus became us. As if Jesus became us. And see, most Christianity doesn't think in those terms. Maybe morally they do, but the Gospels mean it in the full, organic, physical, emotional, psychological sense. If Jesus became us. And that's what we pray. When we gather together, there's a, that reality is here present among us. As much as God was in the temple with, in Solomon's time or the tabernacle with Moses. As much as he is with the Virgin Mary in her in that way. And that's where the heart and, and, and this, this incredible mystery and wonder that takes place among us that we share to the world that, that we can say God is here so the way I minister to the world around me doesn't have to be the way the world ministers. I'm not saying we don't take, you know, support people taking responsibility for their lives, but at the same time, how many times have we acted with God where we do not deserve his help. We may point the finger about this guy, that guy, blah, 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 blah. But how many times? And still God pulls through. So God pulls through. And that's why this, this, you know, Luke taking the phrase from Matthew, where Matthew says, be perfect or complete the way your Father in heaven is complete. Luke here says, be merciful the way God is merciful. And, and, and the audience of the gospel would have heard that. I have to relate. If I really see how merciful God has been to me, I have to extend that mercy to others. I love my enemies. Wow. And I can trust you and trustfully tell you that I know that's a, that's a difficult thing. It's hard being slandered, talked about, everything else for any of us. Let alone... In this case, where you're seriously persecuted, taken to jail, your family executed. And, and the hurt that people incur on us is not what defines what we're about. We are defined by the mercy and the love of God, beginning, middle, and end. And if we forget that, I get it. I know what it's, I sympathize with being hurt. I sympathize. I think everybody here can sympathize with some stage of life or another where we felt hurt. But if we see what we've been given, again, look at the times we've hurt God. We have hurt God. Either by blowing him off or by, you know, our, our lack of belief and faith. Blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank. Every time we sin, we're telling God, eh. Right now, I don't need you. I, I need this more than you. <laughs> Whatever it is. And that's not for people to feel shamed in that way, but to say, to, for us to be aware that God is here. 
He's not in another planet. He's not in another galaxy. He's here. And that's why today the, the, the celebration of the protection of the Theotokos, the idea that heaven and earth have come down, that the Virgin Mary, who symbolizes all of the saints, all the, of God's people, praying for us, even in, from the dimension of heaven. But heaven is here. It's among us. We just can't see beyond three, four dimensions. But he's here. He's here. And how do we know he's here is, is the people who do reflect Jesus to us. That's where you know where he's at. And that's why the church in its worship understands that, that the beauty of, of, of like St. Romanos, who was a, a, a Jewish follower of Jesus and part of the church, who wrote beautiful hymns, lived in, in the 8th century. Phenomenal. Phenomenal writer and poet of the church. You know, it's because, not because of, let's do something pretty for church, but they knew who this Jesus was and that he was there with them. And that when we celebrate and worship, we step into the reality, whatever we're celebrating. Every, every act of Jesus is salvation. Every act of Jesus is salvation. And the ultimate salvation, of course, is when we're done in the next dimension. But we step into that reality and that reality steps into us. And so the words that were read from the gospel and the epistle today are to step into us and us step into them. Not just to go in one ear and out the other. And God, even when we do let it go in one ear and out the other, he still, he still hangs in there with us. But the call is just to remember we're part of the family business. And the boss is not me, is not Merrill Lynch, right? Or Bank of America, or whoever is yelling and screaming their head off. It's Jesus. So may the Lord bless us with that awareness to really just let that soak in how much we've been given. Yeah, there's negative things that happen, but look at the good. The good we have is because God is there. And sometimes he's there in spite of us. Right? Amen. Christ, Christ.